listeners in 16 countries and five continents. Sustainable, the podcast brings you inspirational interviews to help enhance sustainable practices within your organization. Be a business that works for the earth with your host, Tabby Jane, CEO and founder of EarthSelf, bringing a nature-centered approach into organizational management. In episode 27, I spoke with Angelica Conco to find out more about the Forestry Commission and how forests can benefit your business. Today, I'm speaking to Ian Thompson. Until recently, Ian Thompson was Professor of Accounting at Harriet Watt University in Strathclyde Business School. His research has included interdisciplinary studies on implementation of cleaner technology, establishing industrial ecologies, effective stakeholder engagement, risk governance in water and salmon farming, sustainable development indicators, government policy making and external accounting. He has been called as an expert witness to the Scottish Parliament's Finance and Infrastructure and Capital Investment Committee, Special Policy Advisor to the Scottish Parliament's Transport, Infrastructure and Climate Change Committee, Budget Advisor to the Scottish Parliament's Cities and Infrastructure Committee, Invited Speaker at UN Seminar on World Food Programme and was a member of the Expert Stakeholder Panel for the Sustainable Development Commission Scotland. His current projects include external accounting, carbon accountability, social auditing and sustainable outcome measurement. In 2012, he was elected as convener of the Centre for Social and Environmental Accounting Research. Prior to becoming an academic, he worked in NHS Scotland and BBC Scotland as a management accountant. Welcome, Ian. It is great to have you on Sustainable today. Hey, thank you. I'm looking forward to the interview. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so tell me, let's let's start. I mean, how are accounting and sustainability connected? Well, they're, 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 I suppose they're connected in a number of ways. Um, mo- most people are, are incredibly uh, stunned when I tell them what it is I actually to do for a living. and Because most people assume that accounting and, the you know, the calculating of cost and the obsession with profit is something which drives unsustainability. Um, whereas accounting is, a, is a, a much more kind of nuanced and flexible set of kind of like techniques and ways of thinking about how um, people people interact with kind of economic systems, different companies, um, society and, and, and the kind of natural environment. And in many ways, it's it's about trying to identify what are the the strengths of accounting, more normally in valuing and making visible things which go on with an organisation, in a way to present evidence of the the consequences of certain things that I've done. So it's a very kind of flexible, flexible set of techniques, and it's about reorientating it from maybe accounting for conventional business thinking to accounting for sustainable thinking or change in the way in which organizations organizations work so it's kind of it's a good kind of grounded technique you know that most people have some familiarity with and it's about adapting or, or potentially subverting it from you know making good business decisions to making good business decisions that are also sustainable i don't know if that yeah. helps it, explain a little bit for you. it does and I mean I, I think the key things that I took about that is you know I mean it's really about the strengths of accounting or making the the invisible things visible and giving that evidence that says this is the sustainable practices these are the benefits these are the especially the financial benefits that can help drive sustainability 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think often the there's a there's a lot of a lot of the costs related to unsustainable business, which is also often I would I'd argue is is bad business practices, are hidden in the financial systems. You know, so the cost of electricity, we maybe know how much you spend a, a year or a quarter on an electricity bill, but most people don't know what what they're doing with that energy. And that energy has kind of carbon impact. It also has there's transmission loss. There's there's lots of resources which go on to kind of to create to to create kind of for you buy energy. But why are you buying the energy? What are you using it for? Are you using it efficiently? You know, it's like people at home. People know their bill, but they won't know how much it costs to run a fridge or to run their television or to run their washing machine. You know, so it's about taking things like that. So. Energy is an obvious one. Waste is another. You know, kind of the, you know, when you look at waste within organisations, as a, you know, from a kind of sustainable accounting perspective, and, and taking ideas from like the circular economy, we say waste is something that you bought that you you can't get any value from. That's that's potentially stupid. Why would you buy things that you're not going to turn into value for for somebody else? Other things are like water. People know they don't know how much water they use. You know, it's you know, um, and so it's it's about taking these some of these things, which are, are real tangible aspects of running a business, and actually try and say, well, why are we using it? Are we using it efficiently? And if most people look at their accounts, they won't find any information to help them with that decision. So something like you know sustainable accounting in an organisation, we just turn it round and we'd say, well, you know, how much are you spend, where are you spending on, where are you spending your electricity, where are you using water, and sometimes you get some very strange things. I mean, one example on water, we were, um, you can mention it stuff on on industrial ecology, we we did we did a kind of an, an audit um, where you go down you look at resource use, and there's this printed circuit manufacturing company that was down there and they were using they were there because the water was high quality so it had a borehole but when we when we worked out how much profit they were making for water extracted from this borehole they could have trebled their profit by simply putting the water into bottles and selling it in the shops you know it was, you know they, they, would, they would have actually kind of they, they were much more in terms of the resource use they were kind of excessive of stuff like a, a water bottle manufacturer, yet they were a printed circuit board. But then with some simple changes, they actually managed to cut their water use down to 1% of what they were using before. Yeah, so that's it. That's really impressive. So, I mean, that's kind of like a clear, tangible example there of how accounting can help organisations make better decisions when it comes to sustainability. Yeah, and it, that that one was really simple. Is how much profit you're making by the quantity of a resource that you're using. You know, how much profit are you making per kilowatt of energy? How much are you making per kilowatt of waste? And how much are you making? You know, so it's it's just there's different levels, obviously, of sustainable accounting. You know, getting more and more uh, sophisticated. But normally, what we're trying to do is we try and link the financial costs to the, you know, with the, the, the resources and how they're used in an organization. We also can sort of start to expend things and say, well, what's the, the, you know, some of the non-financial costs, you know, so things which are, 
um, you know, air carbon emissions, which, you know, for a lot of organizations are free just now, but are unlikely to be free in the future in that you're going to have to pay for emissions or water. You, you do pay for, for, for water that goes into the, into the sewage system. But again, it's not linked to what people are doing or the value of the product. Um, and how that then goes and what's, what are the, some of the, the wider impacts. So we can use it to model forward to look at, say, well, if we're, you know, if, we're, if sustainability is, bite, is going to, sort of like some of the regulations are going to bite the way in which it's predicted, there's going to be sort of like uh, carbon taxes on energy, energy prices likely to go up. Water is likely to go up. Cost of disposing of different types of waste, particularly where the waste is, is recyclable if you take the kind of circular argument. So waste that you're throwing out that can be recycled is likely to be charged because, you know, you're sort of wasting resources. So you can model forward to look at some of these other issues. And, and we can also look at things like the social ex- unacceptability of certain products or certain business practices, you know. You know, you know, like modern slavery, you know, act there, which is now coming into companies are now over a certain size and now having to say we have done an, an, an audit and we can ensure that none of our supply chain uh, ha, has used slaver, slaves, <laughs> you know. So so it's not just environmental, so you can roll it into uh, more social social aspects as well and extend what we call along the stuff, like the life cycle, um, you know, t- once you've produced a product or a service, what's, what are the consequences of its use? Um, forward in time, and how did we get that product? What, what resources have been consumed? So we can start to get that more, more kind of like life cycle visibility, which is which may not necessarily have some immediate short-term benefits in an organisation, but it can certainly see expose the risks that an organisation has to resource, you know, kind of resource depletion, changing in values of. Uh, of, of raw materials and of, of labor and, you know, the, this idea of what society considers unacceptable. Yeah. Which may, you know, cause, cause you know, the need for organizations to reconsider what they do. Yeah, and I mean, I, I like what you're saying there because, I mean, what you're saying is it, it goes into a broader context of sustainability. It's not just the environmental aspects, but how is society being sustainable? How is everything being sustainable? And how can then an organisation ensure its longevity and its continued success as it adapts to all the changes that we're implementing to make our world more sustainable? Yeah, and if you look at look at some of the... Some of the more longer-lived organisations, and you can see that what they typically do is they nurture, they nurture the communities that they serve, and the and the, the communities that that depend upon them. Then you know that they, they they look after their customers. <laughs> you know, they you know because it's like it's like it's like a, a sensible a farmer doesn't kill off all you know looks after the soil. It's not about max you know. In, in one season, it's maybe about thinking a hundred seasons. It's about a hundred transactions, not just a single transaction. And look at the way in which you you can build build that relationship <clears throat> with your with your kind of client your your kind of client base and also your suppliers as well. You know because you want to ensure that that they work and they get value from doing things differently. You know, so and there's there's also there's this value aspect as well. Um, so actually, understanding a part of account for sustainability is to try and identify other sources of value, 
and and even itself, it's I suppose there's some it's crudest form you can look at different what are called different types of business capital. So you've got your human capital, you know, that you must kind of look to add value to. You've got environmental capital, you've got resource capital, intellectual capital, infrastructure capital. So you move beyond the narrow understanding of capital and assets that you would have in a financial statement to say, well, you know, m- most people running business, are, are, I think, are often surprised when they look at their their balance sheet and they see, is that all the assets I've got? Mm. You know, because it doesn't include staff. Yeah, it doesn't include your, you know, the the sort of like relationships you have with your customer. It doesn't include the, the good reputation that you have with a community. You know, because if you have a bad reputation with your community, that can that causes you lots of costs. You know, if you're constantly dealing with complaints, you know the you know, so police are coming round, or you've got phone phoning up about noise or dust or dirt or all these things. These are all valuable things to an organisation, and it's about almost saying, well, what are the things which, starting off from an organisation, what are the things that are valuable and useful to you, and then trying to incorporate them within the within the accounting system, rather than it just being purely the things that you write a check for in in a single month. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I I really love that, you know, and again, goes back to what you originally said, making the invisible visible and really recognising, well, if it costs you, say, £100,000 a year to deal with, um, you know, antisocial behaviour or whatever else that's going on or something with as part of your organisation, that's not an asset, but being able to implement changes for that, well, then that is an additional asset that gives you more money, more. Yeah, and you can do other things with it, you know, so... I think this the idea that things are all you know are always costly, but unless you're thinking about the value that you can get from these costly activities because everything costs money but the one thing that people often don't appreciate is that doing nothing costs a lot as well and and trying to identify and one of the things you normally do if you were sort of working with an organization is trying to identify a lot of the 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 cost to the business of their unsustainable practices and then you build them up and they then become a potential benefit because if you can change the way in which you do things then you know then you're saving lots of money and things like um modifying again some other case studies looked at simply modifying the the cleaning agent that they use for the material from something which was regarded as a semi-hazardous to something which is like, you know, some of the examples are using like lemon juice or vinegar-based things which naturally degrade in the sewage system. And they're not regarded as toxic, which means that you don't then have to keep a record of your chemicals. You don't have to store them in a particular warehouse. You don't have to log it. You then don't have to pay for the disposal. You don't have to pay for the audit. You don't have to, you know, so when you start looking at these things here, sometimes a very small change can actually make a big difference. Or also making up apparently a saving. I mean, it's, you know, sometimes you don't always believe me when you say that there was it was uh, doing a case study with a you know with a, com- a cheese company, and and the procurement officer came round and and said we have managed to get a new deal, saving the equivalent of point one of a pence on a bag of plastic. Now they'd used an awful lot of bags of plastic, so it was over the year a considerable um, a considerable saving, 
but actually it trebled the fail rate in the production process, which meant that they, they, they kind of got this milk from the cows, they stored it, they kind of churned it all up, they made it into cheese, they stored it for months, they then brought it out, they then grated it, then they put it in the bag, and then the bag busts and it went on the floor and it's waste. And you have to pay to, pay to clean it up, pay to dispose of it. And for a tiny, and, and these, this cheese was selling for about 3,000 sort of like pound a ton to save 0.1 of a pence or something like that on a on a bag is is kind of it's it's, a, it's what we call um, ineffective efficiency so you're apparently being efficient at one stage but it's ineffective for the organization you know and you can get effective inefficiency which would be actually let's pay a little bit more for a product bag and make sure none of them bust because in the long run it's going to be much better, you know, all the way down the chain. Yep, definitely. So, I mean, you mentioned um, the circular economy a couple of times. And I mean, I'm quite interested in this because we've um, had John Molly New from Zero Waste Scotland talking about the circular economy. And there's been a couple of other business models, um, such as Vegware and Celtic Renewables, where we've had people on the, the, the show from that. But I mean, how explicitly does accounting tie into the circular economy? Well, I mean, I think um, I, I, I have to say, um, I think Zero Waste Scotland is a really some really fascinating stuff that's actually going on there, and the way in which a lot of the the circular economy is actually changing the way you think about the things that you cost. Um, now, currently, accounting is is a accounting in organisations is mostly linear very linear. It's almost like you've got a kind of a, a very strict wall around the company. Things come in, they're paid for by the company, they do stuff to it in you know, like in, in the organization, and then they give it to someone else, either as a product or a service, and those people give them money back. And that's crudely that most business accounting is incredibly linear. It's only a, the, the whole chain of the values and the resources are only the, the gateway into the organization, things that go on within the organization, and then when it goes out. So you've got this very much this linear, uh, so, so a lot of the costs run in a very linear section. And so once, once the company's got the money in from the product, that's kind of almost it, it finished. And there's no kind of sense of there's other ways in which we can get value or there's other kind of sense that we have responsibility for things otherwise. And so, the, you know, the idea was if, if, you're, if you're making money, you're selling a product, you're making a profit and you've got stuff that's going to waste, that, that's just seen as a normal. Actually, in, in accounting, we call that normal. There's a thing called normal waste, you know, which is waste which you just expect to happen. Without actually having any kind of sense of responsibility for the waste, or actually looking at it as a, as a form of potential value, or as a re-input back into back into the system, and a lot of organisations see that you know, if something's spoiled, you're best just to uh, put it in the bin and pay for it. So, accounting reinforces that linear linear thinking that you, you you have something, you own it for a temporary period of time, and then you don't own it, and then it's somebody else's responsibility. Whereas, obviously, with the circular economy, we start looking at 
um, well, where do these resources go? Are there ways in which we can close the loop? Is there, are there examples at which we can do things? Now, in accounting, we, we can actually start to measure these things. Normally, we would identify them separately. So when we've got circular economy, we actually kind of keep a track of the resources or the or the you know, the services which are actually done and try and see if there's a way in which they can um, have value either to the organization itself by maybe sort of like developing other product ranges or, um, you know, kind of passing it on to other businesses to the idea of, a, of an, an industrial ecology and how these things can then so you actually keep things live and you keep things floating. And then you actually start to place values or costs on these things as well. It goes back to, if you take the waste example, if companies don't know how much they're wasting, which most of them don't, they won't know how much a particular activity or function you know, kind of contributes to the overall waste, you know, which is anything that you buy that you're not getting extra value from. You know, from a business point of view, they don't know what these things are. So we need to start to waste accounting makes things visible, so that effectively waste—it means any kind of resources that can be human, you know, and that can it can be kind of equipment. It can be there's lots of ways in which you can understand waste. It's something that you actually want to keep alive and keep keep using. You don't want to put it. Um, sort of like in in the ground in air where it actually kind of causes problems. So what you do is you is you need to then to think about these um, think about these um, issues in a circular way in the accounting system. And unless unless there's a cost attached to them, I mean going back to the um, you know the, sort of the the cheese factory, they 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 just had this thing called normal waste, which. <laughs> You know, from them was running about somewhere between three and five percent of all of the product they made, and they just threw that into skips. And then by actually sort of trying to, you know, re- you know, sort of even just downcycling it. So even if the the cheese was damaged, it could go to for pig food. You know, in fact, it was cheaper just to give it away to local farmers for nothing than actually to get the council to come and pick it up. You know. Um, and and then you got relationships with the farmers, the local community, you know. So there's there's all sorts of w- ways in which you can start to rethink. But they they stopped using the word waste. They just they called it cheese we can't sell, and they valued it at the at the selling price of cheese. Right now it seems like a little. So rather than saying, oh, how much does it all cost? And that okay, that's a five percent. The cost is going there. Well, five five percent. That's you know that's kind of okay. We're they were a reasonably profitable company. But when they basically started sort of saying, actually, that's 5% of lost sales, you know, and we're seen as, uh, you know, as a, a bad company because, <laughs> you know, there was lots of waste. The, you know, trust me, the, I, I went around this factory a number of times. The, the bins at the back were stinking, <laughs> you know, sort of like, uh, you know, before the, kind of, the people came and even when it was closed and they had good waste management. But then they didn't, they had this, this whole series of, of costs that were, that were attached to linear thinking. And it's about trying to look at these, you know, kind of circular thinking. How can we reuse things? What other um, sources of value that can we actually extract? You know, can we... You know, I mean, there was a a glass manufacturer, and they had 
it was one of one of these places, you know, where they've got the visitors, uh, the visitors come up in a coach. You know, they've got a wee cafe, and you see them making nice stuff. And then, occasionally, people will buy a, a really expensive thing. But normally, they'll buy like a wee cheap. You know, I think they had dolphins with a penny in it, glass dolphins with a penny in it for next to nothing. And interestingly, their one of their main uh, main sources of effluent was actually their toilet, because it was lots of old people used to come along, and they had excessive <laughs> excessive problems with the local authority because they might not. You know, you wouldn't think of like a, a glass shop there, but one of their major effluents was actually the toilet, which was in continual continual use, and you know they're kind of scone effluent, um, but. They, they they were they were throwing away a lot of glass because they were really really high end glass manufacturers, you know. So they're, and they're selling stuff for two three hundred pounds a kind of a a piece. But what they did was they thought, well, we've got all this glass that's here, we've got some space. So they gave they gave the glass. They basically went around the local the local college and said, is, is any is anyone interested in doing some work? You know, sell, getting products to sell, and so rather than import, rather than the, I mean, this is genuine, exporting pennies, right, our pennies over to China, where some kind of factory put them in a little glass dolphin, and then they shipped them all the way back to the kind of the you know back to Scotland to sell to overseas tourists who turned up in buses, you know, in in the kind of the countryside. What? And they had their glass that they were thrown away. They basically set up a little glass studio where they provided this glass for free for these young kind of people just coming out of college, really kind of gifted people. They turned them into things, because what it was, it was about how much you sold it. So if you sold something for about £2.50, everyone would buy it. You yeah. know, so into really nice things made from the same glass that previously was just going in, going into the into the bin and they were having to pay for it to be disposed of. Glass is incredibly inert. It doesn't break down. It's, you know, it's kind of there pretty much forever. Um, they got people just to make stuff to sell it and they cut out that didn't have to export the pennies to China. They didn't have, they were generating local, uh, sort of like local jobs, you know, for creative jobs. And they closed a whole series of, of kind of circles. And the, the things that they were selling, they were able to sell made by local artists with a wee picture of the, you know, the very nice, you know, kind of trendy, attractive-looking young artisans, you know. <laughs> and, and then they were able to then build, almost build up that people could then go and have a look at them doing their stuff. You know, so that type of snowballing and building and a little, just a little bit creative thinking. Yeah you know, makes makes a massive difference. Totally, totally. So who do you most admire and why then, Ian? As, a, as an organisation or...? As an organisation, as a person, as an individual, however you choose to interpret that question. That's, a, that's, that's a kind of a good one. Um, <clears throat> I'm trying to think. Um, as, there's, as, as a company, I, I, I have to say that one of the companies I really liked was... Um, interface a kind of carpet carpet they started off as carpet manufacturers and then they went on to to redesign the model they, they, you know i've actually kind of like spoken to the spoken to the founder uh, he's unfortunately dead now and he basically had this idea that he's he wanted to make his company sustainable and he was selling carpets and and carpets and then he went on to effectively renting floor covering um, and that that sort of like nice little twist of 
you know, you don't buy a carpet from us, you rent a floor covering and we'll maintain it and we'll recycle it. And the way in which that organization went from a relatively, you know, polluting, heavy industry, but still using sort of, you know, some natural resources to changing things things around. I mean, that that was actually um, quite a, quite an, an impressive impressive kind of piece piece of work. Um, <clears throat> on other other sort of um, other levels, I, I do think that. Um, I've always kind of fond of uh, Jonathan Porritt and the er- some of the early people who started doing the links with, um, you know, coming from a ecological perspective and then moving into actually changing the way in which organisations work and setting up things like Forum, you know, Forum for the Future. Um, again, quite kind of impressive, impressive uh, way of way of actually doing things. And then there's some there's some boring academics <laughs> who kind of inspire, which I, I would I won't throw into the into the minds of the other people. <laughs> awesome. So how has the focus on sustainability impacted the way that you live your daily life then? Um, in uh, I suppose in a in a in a number of ways, and like many people, it's like a, a bit of a living contradiction in some things where you obsessively collect collect paper. And then sort of like knock back some red wine from <laughs> from South Africa, but I mean, I'm, we you know I, I sort of look at minimising the minimising travel where wherever I can, and and I have to say I've I've got an electric bike and it's just a wonderful thing if people are looking for, um, particularly I mean. I, I, you know, when I stayed in Edinburgh, the you know cycling, going up and down all the hills and, and other places, an electric bike is it's it's abs- they're absolutely brilliant um, pieces of thing because it means that you're cycling on the flat all the time. Um, you can actually carry lots of stuff. So I think one one thing I I do think that that's uh, that's an important thing. But also in, in terms of I tend to be one of these ethical ethical uh, consumers. You know, um, and you know, one of the things that I've always been a big fan of is like uh, fair trade and tradecraft type things. You know, so um, you know, so aid through trade and building that up. So that that's one of that's one of the you know the look at these kind of ethical supermarkets and ethical consuming and and trying to avoid um, sort of like certain types of you know. Kind of, Clothes from different kind of countries and things, but given I'm sort of like an academic, I'm I'm, I'm not a big, I'm not. It was never it was never it was never a problem for me to give up high fashion clothes. Let's just put it that way. But 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 it's good because I can say, well, I don't do it. You know, I don't. And and uh, and again, that's sort of like one of my luxuries. There's there is there's I think there's one clothing manufacturer. This is where the contradiction comes in. There's one. Uh, Untouched World, which is a a really interesting uh, New Zealand sustainable clothing company, um, high end kind of clothing. You know, some of the most sustainable stuff as well. And and you know, so it's expensive, but it, you know, you got this kind of sustainability kind of buzz. The trouble is, it has to get shipped from New Zealand. Mm. You know, <laughs> and this I think this is sometimes some of the some of the tensions that you that that we need to we need to look at. 
the the other thing is the is the farmers box. I think the actually I've done some a little bit talked to quite a lot of people on and getting your box of vegetables, local vegetables from a local farmer. You know, is is again, it's a it's a it's a great thing uh, to do. And you know, the 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 food mile argument. That's another thing on some of the counting, some of the techniques like food miles. You know, sort of like uh, one how many planet planetary economy type stuff. But food miles is is uh, is an is another thing. And and I, again, there's a there was an I don't know if you, people know, but interesting that notion of a Fife diet where people tried to live. Um, on only on food that that was actually grown within Fife, living in Fife, it's a really interesting local local sourcing. I think that's. Uh, I think they couldn't do everything. I think coffee and chocolate were the one things that they, <laughs> they couldn't source and couldn't give up with. So, so I suppose it, it's it's like the things you can do, but I mean, uh, you know, I sort of also try and do a little bit, little bit campaigning, a little bit policy work. Um, sort of like lobbying and various things like that, and trying to support support research across the research network to get people to 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 change things. But uh, you know, it's 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 difficult. You can you 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 know. I think it's you do you do you do the little you can, and I think if everybody did the little that they could, um, you know, energy efficient stuff in the house, you know, getting insulation done. Driving as little as possible, buying as locally as possible. These things they do they do make a I think they do make a difference, you know, um, and they can be reflected in things. Yeah, I'm getting pre- I'm getting preachy now. No, you know, well, I, I, always, I, I, I think it's I think it's that <laughs> reminder though. It's like you know, there's all these little things, and something that I come up quite again is that people feel that they're not doing enough. You know, that this this whole big sustainable challenge is so big and overwhelming, and it's it's that good. You know, it's that small reminder of you know, there's just lots of little different things that you can do, and lots of little different things if we're all doing them do add up together and make a big impact. Yeah, I mean, the way to think of it is unsustainability. Is is a result of myriads of little tiny decisions that people make, and without without thinking, um, and sustainability can or less unsustainable things can evolve from changing those little little decisions. You know these tiny little little kind of decisions, and you know even if at the university here you go down and there's like. There's a tree baked stuff that's actually sort of like um, baked on the premises or from local suppliers, or there's the stuff that's kind of uh, vac packed and has been kind of shipped in from who knows where. <clears throat> you know, or the or the kind of confectionery. You think, well, okay, you know, th- these, you know, this stuff's come from China. You know, and and doing some of the life cycle costing of industrial food production. Again, having access to a lot of these research, you start to know. You know a lot of these things, and you know food labeling and these different different aspects. But uh, certainly, little things like that can actually can actually make a make a difference. And I mean, some of the, I don't know if you're kind of clients, but some of the micro business stuff that's going on now is absolutely amazing. You know, where people are just having ideas, and they're just you know little little kind of like little little products. You know, music festival. And the, you know, and there was a, a coffee tent that had no mains electricity, and was making brilliant stuff. You know, hand hand grinding the coffee, um, hand pressed, and all these sort of things. And it was great, big, big 
massive, big massive kind of queues, everyone putting together, but you've got time to chat to the the, the person that's sort of going on. And you're thinking, there's somebody making a living at kind of music festivals, selling coffee and and drinks, all kind of like using kind of renewable renewable energy, mm. you know, <laughs> and a lot of human stuff, and. Uh, you know, and it's possible. So it's it's known what's possible, I think, and change, change, you know, kind of changing, changing your perspective on what's there, and it makes sense. This guy running the coffee stall wasn't paying. Didn't you know? He didn't have to pay the um, the organisers for a generator or a hookup. He had. He was able to do it with a much smaller, much smaller um, kind of footprint, and you know, he, he wasn't. He wasn't. You know, he was making not quite pure profit, but he was making more profit um, by doing it the way he was he was doing it because he wasn't. There was no energy cost. There's no energy cost for selling kind of like teas and teas and coffees, and there's also a nice novelty. Um, you know, because you know there's panels, there's various things, hand pressed coffee machines, lots of really kind of interesting looking stuff. So people were there just for a just for a kind of a nose round, but you know, there's a, you know, an example of a, of a, of a business that I, sus- that I suspect, you know, um, had a had a unique, you know, kind of a, a unique sustainability badge about it, and uh, creating a kind of a, a bit of a bit of a buzz. Yeah, and I and, and I think just there, just just to interject, I mean, the key the key thing that's coming out of there, Ian, is. Never underestimate the power of creativity, you know, and really thinking outside the box because that's where a lot of these solutions are coming from. Yeah, and I see a chat with a guy, and it was, it was, it was looking at something online, seeing a, a, a hand press thing to make your coffee. You know, that you just kind of pour the water and you just press down two levers and you get as much uh, as much extraction <laughs> as you do on on a, on, a, on another one, you know, on, on one of these these kind of like big machines, which yeah. are incredibly energy intensive, you know, and you know, there's just a a simple a simple idea that uh, that works. And as I said, big Q, you know, sort of a music festival thing and uh, making money. Yep. And cheaper, less of a footprint. You name it. You know, compared to that, there's a, a stall about a couple of bits down, which is a much more conventional conventional thing. And they had the buzz of the generator that they obviously had to buy and, you know, the sort of like the, the, the burr of the kind of their the electric grinder and all those sort of things. And uh, yes, they were possibly serving more people. And the yes, the possibly queue was a little bit uh, shorter. But you don't always go for a fast cup of coffee. No. You know, slow works, you know, sometimes, you know, and slow is valuable, you know. Um. Definitely. So what is one of your most favourite memories of a time or place in nature and why? Time and place in nature. I think it would have to be um, in Orkney um, on the Isle of uh, Hoy, you know, where the old man of Hoy is. Mm-hmm. It's basically just sort of walking, just walking up there, up the kind of cliffs, seeing kind of like a big seagull flying overhead and a couple of mountain hares running, running past you, um, sort of like scampering around and just the beautiful kind of peace and quiet of, uh, 
of of Orkney, which is a a very kind of like special, very kind of special place um, to be. Um, and I, I just there's there's something magical of I think about the the Orkney Islands, um, and every every bit's a little bit different. But I have to say that uh, you know. Wandering, wandering up, uh, wandering up there, and the sort of like these hidden, hidden little kind of like beaches, um, are just, just kind of spectacular. And the other, the, the and the the other one was actually sort of um, again the sounds of show how nerdy I am, but it was down in New Zealand, on the South Island, walking into walking the place where the um, uh, if you know about Rohan, the Riders of Rohan, their castle where that was actually filmed, awesome. and it's just well, it, and it's a it's a place. It was a it was a horseshoe mountain range, and then the glaciers kind of came down and then pushed up another mountain ridge. It's almost a complete circle, golden grass, and you know, that that's just uh, the the wildness down there is just this spectacular yep so how do experiences either being up at the old man of hoy or down you know in the south islands in new zealand how do these influence and inspire your own commitment to sustainability well i think it's about recognizing um it's appreciating that um that we as humans are are largely um temporary beings so as an individual you've got a relatively short short kind of uh, life and I think that when you're on some of these kind of wilderness areas and you're just stepping back and you're facing a kind of this you know you're looking at these mountains which isn't going to change that's not going to change in a thousand years you know and then if you <laughs> went back five years later you've certainly changed so I think the kind of notion of the temporal the, the the kind of the temporary nature of, you know, sort of individuals' place in the world and the, the fact that we shouldn't be the centre of things. So it's not like me being the centre of me is actually saying you're part of something, you're part of something bigger um, and you can choose to do damage, you can choose to be neutral or you can choose to make um, things, things different. In many ways, a mountain doesn't choose to be a mountain. You know, the sea doesn't choose to be a sea. It is what it is. But the fact that even though we have this temporary kind of uh, temporary kind of existence, and there's you know the little kind of speck of you know kind of speck of kind of dust on you know the, you know the side outside of a mountain, but the, the fact that we have a responsibility for things like that, and and we have choice. And I think recognise that we have choice and we have agency, um, and that when we, when I think when we get a kind of a, a, a an opportunity to make a choice, we should think very carefully about the consequences, um, and try and do no harm, but also see if there are any ways in which we can we can sort of like make things make things better. Yeah. So last question, Ian, what advice do you have for any businesses or organisations who are looking to use their accounting to help them become more sustainable? I think what they've got to do is is have a good look. Um, well, have a, have a look at their, their accounting system, okay, and just imagine they knew nothing about their business and what information they could 
the how, what information they could actually get from those accounts if they knew nothing about the kind of the business, and then uh, you know, like so you could write that down. One, and then on the other side, another bit of the paper, write down <clears throat> what are the things that we do that are really important to us. What are the things that we depend upon, and then look to see how much of those things which are important to the business that are important as, 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 as sources of value and to their, what they'd like to be see, the outside world to, to perceive them as in terms of their impact on environment society and see how much of those are actually contained in their financial accounts. Because what you're really doing there is saying, these are the things which are important to us. These are the things that we measure in financial terms and have a good think about are there ways in which I could start to uh, put costs or put values on the things that are on the other side of the paper from the accounts, and then pick ones that you want to you, that you want to do. Energy is an easy one. Waste is another one. Water. And these things are are quite easy to do, and then to look at developing different ways of of doing things uh, in terms of their accounts, and make sure that their accounts the way in which they do the internal accounts, what they cost, how they cost things, link back to the things that they think are important about about the business and about sort of like sustainability. And then from there you get this kind of this this gap between what how people are effectively thinking and running their business and how they're accounting for it and trying to get it aligned and kind of like quite closely. Um, <clears throat> and then if they're once they've done that, they should possibly think about maybe even making use of things like universities. Make it, you know, there's a lot of people doing research and have expertise in it, and so a lot of there's a lot of students are, you know, there's a lot of student projects needing being done. There's a lot of academics looking for research, you know, helping helping things out. You know, use the use some of the the kind of resources, free resources, and some of the other information places uh, on that where you can always get advice. You know. If it's waste, look at Zero Waste Scotland. You know, if it's energy, look at the kind of the Carbon Trust, various things like that, and get ideas. The Environment Agency is another good example of lots of like little practical case studies. And, you know, homegrown often works well. You know, the the, the cheese company I was talking about, they actually, the, their, their accounts that they did were done on a spreadsheet by the kind of the production engineer. They had the, the the accountants couldn't didn't actually get it, but they did it themselves because they knew what was important and they gathered the cost on what they knew was important to doing their job. Yeah, I really like that. So just 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 to recap, there, look at your accounting system with fresh eyes and pretend you know nothing about your business and see what your accounts are actually saying, and then look at what's important and what you depend upon, the values that you've got, and how that's reflected in your accounting system. See where it's out of alignment, and then figure out what you can do to bring it in alignment, and then look as well at um, collaborations with universities and students to help you do that and as well looking for the talent within your own team that can help you get more sustainable accounting beautifully put perfect <laughs> thank you so much for me for speaking to me today Ian. no problem enjoy it if Ian's walk around the old man of Hoy in Orkney or exploring the South Island of New Zealand has inspired you to get outside, find out more about how to deepen your connection to nature at www.thenatureprocess.co or if you want to bring more nature into your organisation, check us out at EarthSelf 
www.earthself.org. As always, if you or someone you know would make a great guest on Sustainable, please do get in touch. Enjoy today's episode? It only takes a few seconds to share with a friend or colleague. If you want to talk more about the ideas in this episode, then come join us on the Sustainable Podcast Community Group on LinkedIn. New episodes of Sustainable are released on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Subscribe now on iTunes or SoundCloud.